0: Chapter nine of He Fell in Love with His Wife This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Claudia Zalto He fell in love with his wife by Edward Pierot Mrs Mumsen accepts her mission. As Holcroft drove through the town, Mrs. Wiggins, who, as matters were explained to her, had expressed her views chiefly by affirmative nods, now began to use her tongue with much fluency. I ave a friend hereabouts," she said, "and she's been a keepin' some of my things." I'll be olden to ye, master, if ye'll jest stop a bit at the door whilst I gets em. If ye'll advance me a dollar or so on me wages, it'll be a long time before I trouble ye again. The farmer had received too broad a hint not to know that Mrs. Wiggins was intent on renewing her acquaintance with her worst enemy he briefly replied therefore it's too late to stop now i'll be coming down soon again and will get your things in vain mrs wiggins expostulated for he drove steadily on with a sort of grim humor he thought of the meeting of the two witty women as tom had characterized them ...and of Mrs. Mumpson's dismay at finding in the cheap girl a dame of sixty weighing not far from two hundred. If it wasn't such awfully serious business for me, he thought, it would be better than going to a theatre to see the two go on. If I haven't got three peculiar females on my hands now... I'd like to hear of the man that has. When Mrs. Wiggins found that she could not gain her point, she subsided into utter silence. It soon became evident in the cloudy light of the moon that she was going to sleep, for she so nodded and swayed about that the farmer feared she would tumble out of the wagon. She occupied a seat just back of his and filled it, too. The idea of stepping over, sitting beside her and holding her in, was inexpressibly repugnant to him. So he began talking to her and finally shouting at her to keep her awake. His efforts were useless. He glanced with rueful dismay over his shoulder as he thought. If she falls out, I don't see how on earth I'll ever get her back again. Fortunately, the seat slipped back a little, and she soon slid down into a sort of mountainous heap on the bottom of the wagon, as unmindful of the rain as if it were a lullaby. Now that his mind was at rest about her falling out, and knowing that he had a heavy load, Holcroft let the horses take their own time along the miry highway. Left to her own devices by Holcroft's absence, Mrs. Mumpson had passed what she regarded as a very eventful afternoon and evening— Not that anything unusual had happened, unless everything she said and did may be looked upon as unusual. But Mrs. Mumpson justly felt that the critical periods of life are those upon which definite courses of action are decided upon. In the secret recess of her heart, supposing her to possess such an organ, She had partially admitted to herself, even before she had entered Holcroft's door, that she might be persuaded into marrying him. But the inspection of his room, much deliberate thought and prolonged soliloquy, had convinced her that she ought to enter into nuptial relations as her thought formulated itself. It was a trait of Mrs. Mumpson's active mind that, when it once entered upon a line of thought, it was hurried along from conclusion to conclusion with wonderful rapidity. While Jane made up Mr. Holcroft's bed, her mother began to inspect and soon suffered keenly from every painful discovery. The farmer's meagre wardrobe and other belongings were soon rummaged over, but one large closet and several bureau drawers were locked. These are the receptacles of the deceased Mrs. Holcroft's effects, she said with compressed lips. They are moldering useless away. Moth and rust will enter while I, the caretaker, am debarred. I should not be debarred. All the things in that closet should be shaken out, aired, and carefully put back. Who knows how useful they may be in the future? Waste is wicked. Indeed, there are few things more wicked than waste. Now I think of it, I have some keys in my trunk. He won't like it, interposed Jane. ''In the responsible position I have assumed,'' replied Mrs. Mumpson with dignity, ''I must consider not what he wants, but what is best for him and what may be best for others.'' Jane had too much curiosity herself to make further objection, and the keys were brought. "'It was astonishing what a number of keys Mrs. Mumpson possessed, "'and she was not long in finding those which would open the ordinary locks "'thought by Holcroft to be ample protection. "'I was right,' said Mrs. Mumpson complacently. "'A musty odor exudes from these closed receptacles.' Men have no comprehension of the need of such caretakers as I am. Everything that had ever belonged to poor Mrs. Holcroft was pulled out, taken to the window, and examined, Jane following, as usual, in the wake of her mother and putting everything to the same tests which her parent applied. Mrs. Holcroft had been a careful woman, and the extent and substantial character of her wardrobe proved that her husband had not been close in his allowances to her. Mrs. Mumpson's watery blue eyes grew positively animated as she felt off and held up to the light one thing after another. "'Mrs. Holcroft was evidently unnaturally large,' she reflected aloud, "'but then these things could be made over, and much material be left to repair them from time to time. "'The dresses are of sombre colours, becoming to a lady somewhat advanced in years, and of subdued taste.' By the time that the bed and all the chairs in the room were littered with wearing apparel, Mrs. Mumpson said, Jane, I desire you to bring the rocking chair. So many thoughts are crowding upon me that I must sit down and think. Jane did as requested, but remarked, The sun is getting low, and all these things'll have to be put back just as they was, or he'll be awful mad. Yes, Jane, replied Mrs. Mumpson, abstractedly and rocking gently, you can put them back. Your mind is not burdened like mine, and you haven't offspring and the future to provide for. And, for a wonder, she relapsed into silence possibly she possessed barely enough of womanhood to feel that her present train of thought had better be kept to herself she gradually rocked faster and faster thus indicating that she was rapidly approaching a conclusion meanwhile jane was endeavouring to put things back as they were before and found it no easy task as the light declined she was overcome by a sort of panic and huddling the things into the drawers as fast as possible she locked them up then seizing her mother's hand and pulling the abstracted woman to her feet she cried if he comes and finds us here and no supper ready he'll turn us right out into the rain Even Mrs. Mumpson felt that she was perhaps reaching conclusions too fast and that some diplomacy might be necessary to consummate her plans. Her views, however, appeared to her so reasonable that she scarcely thought of failure, having the happy faculty of realizing everything in advance whether it ever took place or not as she slowly descended the stairs with the rocking-chair she thought nothing could be more suitable we are both about the same age i am most respectably connected in fact i regard myself as somewhat his superior in this respect he is painfully undeveloped and irreligious and thus is in sore need of female influence he is lonely and downhearted and in woman's voice there is a spell to banish care worst of all things are going to waste i must deliberately face the great duty with which providence has brought me face to face at first he may be a little blind to this great opportunity of his life that i must expect remembering the influence he was under so many years but i will be patient and by the proper use of language place everything eventually before him in a way that will cause him to yield in glad submission to my views of the duties the privileges and the responsibilities of life. So active was Mrs. Mumpson's mind that this train of thought was complete by the time she had ensconced herself in the rocking chair by the fireless kitchen stove. Once more Jane seized her hand and dragged her up. You must help, said the child. I spect him every minute, and I'm scarred half to death to think what he'll do, especially if he finds out we've been rummaging. Jane, said Mrs. Mumpson severely, that is not a proper way of expressing yourself. I am housekeeper here, and I've been inspecting. Shall I tell him you've been inspecting? asked the girl keenly children of your age should speak when they are spoken to replied her mother still more severely you cannot comprehend my motives and duties and i should have to punish you if you passed any remarks upon my actions well said jane apprehensively i only hope we'll soon have a chance to fix up them drawers for if he should open em we'd have to tramp again and we will anyway if you don't help me get supper you are mistaken jane responded mrs mumpson with dignity we shall not leave this roof for three months and that will give me ample time to open his eyes to his true interests. I will condescend to these menial tasks until he brings a girl who will yield the deference due to my years and station in life. Between them, after filling the room with smoke, they kindled the kitchen fire. Jane insisted on making the coffee, and then helped her mother to prepare the rest of the supper, doing, in fact, the greater part of the work. Then they sat down to wait, and they waited so long that Mrs. Mumpson began to express her disapproval by rocking violently. At last she said severely, Jane, we will partake of supper alone. I'd rather wait till he comes. It's not proper that we should wait. He is not showing me due respect. Come, do as I command. Mrs. Mumpson indulged in lofty and aggrieved remarks throughout the meal, and then returned to her rocker. At last, her indignant sense of wrong reached such a point that she commanded Jane to clear the table and put away the things. "'I won't,' said the child. "'What? Will you compel me to chastise you? Well, then, I'll tell him it was all your doings.' "'I shall tell him so myself.' i shall remonstrate with him the idea of his coming home alone at this time of night with an unknown female one would think he was his aunt to hear you talk remarked the girl sullenly i am a respectable woman and most respectably connected my character and antecedents render me irreproachful This could not be said of a hussy, and a hussy he'll probably bring, some flighty, immature female that will tax even my patience to train. Another hour passed, and the frown on Mrs. Mumpson's brow grew positively awful to think she muttered that a man whom i have deemed it my duty to marry should stay out so and under such peculiar circumstances he must have a lesson which he can never forget then allowed to drain kindle a fire on the parlour hearth and let this fire go out he must find us in the most respectable room in the house a room befitting my station i declare mother you ain't got no sense at all exclaimed the child exasperated beyond measure i'll teach you to use such unrespectful language cried mrs mumpson darting from her chair like a hawk and pouncing upon the unhappy child with ears tingling from a coughing she could not soon forget Jane lighted the parlour-fire, and sat down, sniffling in the farthest corner. "'There shall be only one mistress in this house,' said Mrs. Mumpson, who had now reached the loftiest plane of virtuous indignation, and its master shall learn that his practices reflect upon even me as well as himself. At last the sound of horses' feet were heard on the wet oozy ground without the irate widow did not rise but merely indicated her knowledge of Holcroft's arrival by rocking more rapidly hello there Jane he shouted bring a light to the kitchen Jane remain said mrs. Mumpson with an awful look Holcroft stumbled through the dark kitchen to the parlour door and looked with surprise at the group before him. Mrs. Mumpson apparently oblivious and rocking as if the chair was possessed and the child crying in a corner. Jane, didn't you hear me call for a light? he asked a little sharply. Mrs. Mumpson rose with great dignity and began... Mr. Holcroft, I wish to remonstrate. Oh, bother! I've brought a woman to help you, and we're both wet through from this driving rain. You've brought a strange female at this time of... Holcroft's patience gave say, but he only said quietly, You had better have a light in the kitchen within two minutes. I warn you both, I also wish some hot coffee. Mrs. Mumpson had no comprehension of a man who could be so quiet when he was angry, and she believed that she might impress him with a due sense of the enormity of his offence. Mr. Holcroft, I scarcely feel that I can meet a girl who has no more sense of decorum than to But Jane striking a match revealed the fact that she was speaking to empty air Mrs. Wiggins was at last so far roused that she was helped from the wagon and came shivering and dripping toward the kitchen She stood a moment in the doorway and filled it, blinking confusedly at the light. There was an absence of celerity in all Mrs. Wiggins' movements, and she was therefore slow in the matter of waking up. Her aspect and proportions almost took away Mrs. Mumpson's breath here certainly was much to superintend much more than had been anticipated mrs wiggins was undoubtedly a peculiar female as had been expected but she was so elderly and monstrous that mrs mumpson felt some embarrassment in her purpose to overwhelm holcroft with a sense of the impropriety of his conduct mrs wiggins took uncertain steps toward the rocking-chair and almost crushed it as she sat down "'Ye gives a body a cold welcome,' she remarked, rubbing her eyes. Mrs. Mumpson had got out of her way as a minnow would shun leviathan. "'May I ask your name?' she gasped. "'Viggins! Mrs. Viggins! "'Oh, indeed! You are a married woman?' "'No, I'm a widder. "'What's more, I'm cold and ripping.' In hungry i might a better stayed at the poorest than come to a place like this what almost screamed mrs mumpson are you a pauper i tell ye i'm a widder and good as you be for all he said was the sullen reply to think that a respectably connected woman like me "'but for once Mrs. Mumpson found language inadequate. "'Since Mrs. Wiggins occupied the rocking-chair, "'she hardly knew what to do and plaintively declared, "'I feel as if my whole nervous system was giving way.' "'No arm'll be done if it does,' remarked Mrs. Wiggins, "'who was not in an amiable mood.' "'This from the female I'm to superintend!' gasped the bewildered woman. Her equanimity was still further disturbed by the entrance of the farmer, who looked at this dove with a heavy frown. "'Why in the name of common sense isn't there a fire?' he asked, and supper on the table." "'Couldn't you hear that it was raining and know we'd want some supper after a long, cold ride?' "'Mr. Holcroft,' began the widow in some trepidation, "'I don't approve uh, such irregular habits—' "'Madam,' interrupted Holcroft sternly, "'did I agree to do what you approved of?' "'Your course is so peculiar that I scarcely believe you are in your right mind. "'You had better go to your room and try to recover your senses. "'If I can't have things in this house to suit me, I'll have no one in it. "'Here, Jane, you can help.' Mrs. Mumpson put her handkerchief to her eyes and departed. She felt that this display of emotion would touch Holcroft's feelings when he came to think the scene all over. Having kindled the fire, he said to Jane, You and Mrs. Wiggins get some coffee and supper in short order and have it ready when I come in, and he hastened out to care for his horses. If the old woman was slow, she knew just how to make every motion effective, and a good supper was soon ready. Why didn't you keep up a fire, Jane? Holcroft asked. She wouldn't let me. She said how you must be taught a lesson, replied the girl, feeling that she must choose between two potentates and deciding quickly in favor of the farmer. She had been losing faith in her mother's wisdom a long time, and this night's experience had banished the last shred of it. Some rather bitter words rose to Holcroft's lips, but he restrained them he felt that he ought not to disparage the mother to the child as mrs wiggins grew warm and imbibed the generous coffee her demeanor thought perceptibly and she graciously vouchsafed the remark when your haught laid hagen i'll look after ye mrs mumpson had not been so far off as not to hear jane's explanation as the poor child found to her costs when she went up to bed chapter nine